pediatric speech-language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk's podcast. In today's show, we're continuing our series, Building Verbal Imitation Skills in Late Talkers. Let me remind you that you can, if you're a therapist, you can get a credit for this CE course for only 10 bucks in our $10 CEU program, and you'll also get a handout which you can follow along with the show. And to do that, uh, the link is posted below here on YouTube, and if you're listening on your podcast app, it's show number 426 when you go to Teach Me to Talk to find that course. All right, so if you've been with me throughout this series, you'll know that we've been talking about how to teach a child to imitate because that's how children learn everything, including how to talk. Especially, you know, language is an auditory and a verbal system, meaning that we have to listen and process what we're hearing and then the output part, the speaking piece or the verbal piece. So let's look at where we are in this process. So I want you to take a look at the graphic that we've been using all throughout this series, and you'll see that imitation begins out here at level one. We're using our hands and we're using another object, and then we bring it in for level two. We're learning just how to use body movements that eventually turn into communicative gestures that we use to show other people what we're talking about and redirect their attention and even request other things or comment uh, on other things. So gestures are an important step in helping a child learn toward, uh, move toward communicating and move toward using words for communicating. And you can find out all about that in show number 423. And in our last show, we moved it up to uh, imitating here at the math level. And it's a little controversial there. And if you took that course or watched that course, you'll know why. And it's because there's research on both sides of that issue as to whether a child who's not talking with uh, would non-speech oral mo- oral motor movements that we use move that child toward being verbal. And we know that there's research again on both sides of that issue, but we decided in our discussion about this that sometimes kids need that in-between step. You know, we've taken imitation out here, we've moved it up to our mouths, and a lot of times kids need that extra step. But most of the time, they don't. <laughs> and so this is the level where I begin uh, to work with many, many, many of the late talkers that I've seen. And so right now we are all the way up to levels four and levels five. And so here kids are learning how to imitate vocalizations in play and exclamatory words. And so let's go ahead and start with how we've started all the shows in this series with uh, me giving you the three most important points that you need to know about teaching a child to imitate these easier, earlier vocal and why we start here and work on this level of imitation as opposed to jumping straight to words. So here in this level, a kid learns how to imitate play sounds. So what are play sounds? These are like sound effects, and these are the kinds of sounds that we hear in typical language development way back in infancy, even at that six to nine month level where kids learn, I can use my voice purposefully. And so we'll be talking about those kinds of sounds and why we need to pick up those sounds uh, for late talkers who haven't done that and who aren't using those kinds of sounds. The second most important point is that adults may dismiss these kinds of early vocalizations as non-words, but as I've already mentioned, they certainly occur in typical language development. And the third big 
big point here is that many times late talkers are already using these kinds of vocalizations. And when we strengthen their imitative skills at this level, it helps them move toward imitating more functional words. So we'll unpack these three points as we move through the course, but I wanted to get you started right there. All right, so as we've already discussed, when we looked at our hierarchy of imitation skills, we said that imitation starts out here, and then we've moved it up all the way to our mouths, and now we are ready to add sound. And again, this is an exciting part in this uh, language development piece because it starts to sound more and more like a child might be able to use the word. And remember, we already mentioned too that this sound, these kinds of sounds are really prevalent in infancy at that six to nine or even closer up to that 12 month level as babies begin to use their voices to control their worlds. And so they start to want to get mom's attention with a coo or they shriek before they laugh to see if they can get a reaction from you. They may even do something like purposeful throat clearing <clears throat> or that little fake cough <coughs> that a baby might start to do. And again, all of this is happening very purposefully is to make a child noisy. Now, none of us can use words or use our voices to communicate until we learn to be noisy. And so this stage also occurs in late talkers. And we talked about back uh, in the previous show in that level three that I just mentioned, we talked about pairing or, or using mouth movements without sound, but I also gave you uh, some information about kids who aren't able to vocalize, and that certainly is a really important point and an important step before we get to uh, this piece. So we're have to have to address that if you haven't done that already with little late talking friends on your own caseload, or if you're a parent of a late talker. But let's 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 keep it right here. Let's talk about this first. Some late talkers actually get stuck here at this level four and level five because when we first meet them as their therapists, they come to us and we might say to mom, how many words does he have? And mom might say zero, but then we start to play with the child or interact with the child or as we move through the assessment process in the first few sessions, we start to realize, oh my goodness, he's vocalizing a lot more than mom is giving him credit for. He's saying uh, some animal sounds or he's using some little exclamatory words like uh-oh or whoops or even something like oh no, just a little phrase that he might use. And sometimes moms and dads don't recognize those things as real words and they're an important point an important stop along the way and so sometimes we'll help we'll need to help kids who are like talkers who have landed <laughs> on our steps for us to help them move toward using functional words but they seem to be stuck here we'll have to give parents ideas for what we can do to help a kid move on and how we can take those things and take the information that we glean from the things that he already can say and help him move toward using more functional words but it starts right here with these easier, earlier vocalizations and play sounds. There are some late-talking little friends who aren't here yet, though, and we've talked about them. They're the kids who are really quiet, and they may be doing a lot of vocalizing, like we said before, with crying and yelling or even things that are really, really reflexive, but they haven't really learned that they can use their voices purposefully. And so uh, this is a great starting point for those kinds of kids, too. And sometimes when I teach this theory to uh, therapists or even parents, they'll say, wow, 
I didn't know to pay attention to these kinds of sounds. It's a necessary part of language development. And this is so important, particularly for children who haven't already started to do some of these things, who didn't do it earlier, who didn't do it uh, before they had their first birthday. So we strengthen their skills at this level. We firmly establish imitation here so that these kinds of vocalizations are usually easier when we look at the complexity. And so we get imitation going here. And guess what? Kids are able to move on to real words pretty quickly. And so as I've said already a couple times now, when I get a kid that I think about, you know, he's just a speech-only kid, meaning that there aren't any other uh, huge developmental concerns, you know, that he's met the motor milestones, socially the child is connected. It's just this expressive piece, or even if it's just the expressive piece, there's maybe maybe just even a little mild receptive language delay uh, that, that we have to address and have to work on. But my point is, here is where we can be really successful with a lots of our little uh, late talkers who were on our early intervention caseloads, but sometimes we start at a level that's too hard. And again, we have to back it down to this level where we can teach them how to imitate and teach them how to be successful. Now, there are lots of experts who recommend targeting sound. So here's kind of your evidence-based practice portion of uh, the course here. But Dr. Greenspan, who was an autism expert, talked a lot about these kinds of sounds when he talked about modeling affect, meaning that we've got a pull the child into our communicative interactions because we're excited and we're on and we are making ourselves as fun to look at and listen to as possible. David Hammer, who's an apraxia expert, talks about how toddlers will imitate these kinds of sounds before they get to words. Dr. James McDonald, who's written a wonderful book, he's an SLP who's retired now, but he wrote a wonderful book called Play to Talk. And he talked about, again, how sometimes with children who have language delays, we over talk, we talk too much. And he talks about matching and balancing. So when we have a child who's using a lot of these kinds of vocalizations, instead of talking up here with an adult model, we need to bring our own language models down to match him. So we, we meet him just where he is at that same communicative level. So if he's using animal sounds and car sounds and uh, vehicle noises and other kinds of fun little vocalizations, that's where we need to be too. Uh, Pamela Marshalla had tons of great information about this, particularly in her work with teaching children with apraxia uh, to learn how to imitate. And, you know, that's such uh, a, a big uh, challenge for children with apraxia or suspected childhood apraxia of speech. They can't always get that imitation piece, particularly when we have it in words and we have the pressure that comes with confrontational naming and all the things that we do when we're trying to, you know, even subconsciously to teach a child how to talk. However, when we back it up and make it more fun and give them things that they really can be successful imitating, you know, we get, uh, we make a lot more progress. And certainly Hannon with their people games emphasize uh, the value in using these fun sound effects as targets and early targets for our late talking little friends. So what's our only prerequisite? How do we know when this is a good starting point for a child? And way back in show 422, 
we had a handout that kind of let us know and walked us through this process. If you haven't watched that show, you may want to go back and listen to that before you even start here and really determine if you are at an appropriate starting point for the child that you were thinking about who's not imitating. And as I've said, I start here with lots of our little light talking friends and I usually start here when, as we said before, they uh, only have uh, no more than a mild receptive language delay. They are connected and the the biggest thing is that they are noisier during play, so they're already verbal. And so their vocalizations will start to seem a little more intentional or purposeful. So let me give you some examples. This would be that instead of an all-out cry, a child has learned that he or she can regulate the intensity of that cry. And they may even whine or kind of fake cry or or do something that would, uh, they're intentionally using that little uh, again a whine to alert their parents or their caregivers uh, to the fact that they need some attention from them so that lets you know oh gosh he's moving in that right direction he's using his voice purposefully here the second would one would be a scream or a squeal or laughter that again you can see that the child is trying to make himself do that it's not something that happened that was just reflexive in that something was funny or maybe it's a baby who started to be ticklish you've tickled him a little bit and he laughs. Now this is, he wants your attention, he wants to engage you, so he does that little scream or squeal or shriek or laugh again to get your attention. <clears throat> and the third kind of vocalization here, <clears throat> pardon me, would be that there are pur uh, purposeful vocalizations with emotion. So something like da or bah or something where they are purposefully trying to get your attention and use their voices to do that. So what if you're listening to the show now or watching it and you're saying, Laura, my child isn't there yet. I just don't know what I'm going to do about that. You know, and again, I've given this example before. Does that mean you turn off the podcast and you stop watching and stop listening right now? No, <laughs> we have to get them more vocal and more noisy first. And I talked about this a lot in the previous show in 425 and I hate to be horribly repetitive, but let me go ahead and give you a couple of little things that you can do now. Go ahead and listen to the rest of the show and then maybe go back and pick up 425 so you can hear. And it's particularly at the end of that course. And what I said there was, is the very best way, the most effective way that I've found to ensure that we get noise going. And again, even if there are these kinds of reflexive vocalizations going where a kid doesn't even really understand that he is controlling this yet would be movement. And so that would be things like running, jumping, swinging, anything that you can get a lot of movement and a lot of input into that child's little body. We also talked about things like funnels and paper towel rolls or even those little uh, Dollar Tree microphones where the kid really hears himself. His sound is amplified so he starts to really realize and kind of think along that cause and effect. You know, I'm doing this and I can hear that and this sounds loud and I want to do it again. And so we're really setting up that reinforcement loop for some of these kids who haven't vocalized a lot. So go back and listen to that show and get yourself some more ideas there. But in general, we want kids moving. We want kids active because that's when we hear them at their noisiest and so see that's going to be a real difference for a lot of you who are SLPs who maybe or and parents of late talkers who have maybe focused on sit down calm down sit still 
you know, do not move from this spot. We are doing this right now. That doesn't work, particularly for a late talker who's not very vocal or not very noisy yet. And so I've talked about this already in this podcast series, but let me mention it again. And this is particularly helpful for children who are really, really quiet. I like to use what I call a moving, sitting, moving, sitting treatment philosophy. So we're going to get up and we're going to move around. I will chase them. We will jump on the couch. Mom and I will swing him in a blanket or throw him on the bed or do whatever we can to get his little system revved up enough to talk. We get that going. And then, and only then, (laughs) do we think about sitting down and pulling it back. Because with our children who have sensory regulation or sensory processing, sensory integration differences, we know that, again, a lot of times they're little voices and their alertness levels kind of go hand in hand. And so we'll also see kids who are not revved up enough to talk because they are so low arousal. And for those kids, we use those movement activities not to really get them calm enough to talk, but revved up enough to vocalize. And so think about that, how you can use that kind of movement and what the child that you are working with needs. Does he need to rev up? Does he need to settle down? Those kinds of pieces of information are so important for you so that you can understand how and why these strategies work and how and how you can manipulate these variables to get better results with the children that you're seeing. So if you have a child that's not using a lot of sound already, and you're looking for those kinds of strategies, movement will be your number one uh, go-to strategy there to really uh, help a child learn how to become more purposefully noisy. All right, so I want to direct your attention to your handout, and let me just give you some examples of the kinds of things that we're talking about here. And I've already given examples more at level five with our exclamatory words, but let's back up to this play sound level, the sound effects, and let's talk about some of these easier, earlier vocalizations. And again, these are going to be easier for children to imitate than real words. So if you've had a child who is just so, uh, you, you have just tried your best, and you actually kind of feel like at this point, they're sort of resistant. They sort of, you know that on some kind of level, they they sort of know they're not doing it yet. These are the things that will make it easier for them because, again, they're, they're uh, conceivably easier for a child to be able to repeat. So things like, we already said, fake coughing, fake sneezing, maybe an audible inhalation or a gasp, like (gasps) that kind of sound. A sound like a raspberry, you know, blowing raspberries. We're going to talk a lot about this later and Pamela Marshall has kind of theory with that. But a raspberry sound like, or if you want to vocalize it, you know, that kind of sound. Things like panting, like a puppy dog sound, or even similar to that, when you take a drink, that audible exhalation with that little trick that lots of parents like to teach their kids. We talked about a squeal or a scream, kind of a purposeful use of of that grunting as you exert effort, maybe to open something, just like an ah, uh, ah, uh, you know, and we know a lot of kids are grunters that are light talkers, you know, the classic uh, 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 when they want something. Uh, a 
a purposeful or when they're pretending that they're crying. So we talked about that, but even something more like more pretend there where they're, <laughs> you know, that real fake cry, uh, it, like pretending that a doll is crying or a character or something uh, in the context of play. We talked about car and truck uh, noises, those sounds that aren't really words. That would be like, Arrgh! you know, a car's brakes uh Coming to a screeching halt there, or even, you know, you know, any kind of little fun, little crashing noise there. Snoring or snorting like a pig, or a growling sound, you know, slurping while you're drinking. So, uh, and then eating or munching food, like, you know, or even, mm, mm, mm. those kinds of sounds are what we're talking about in level four. Now, these kinds of sounds that we talked about, uh, these aren't real words yet. It's hard to kind of spell how you would do that little snort that I did like a pig, right? But they're still vocalizations, and these still really count. And these kinds of sounds are really prevalent just before a child begins to talk. So I want you to listen to a little friend that we saw in a previous course. If you uh, watched uh, 423, which was imitating actions with objects, you'll recognize this little boy. He was not a speech language delayed. He's just a, a friend of, a, of our family. And so this little guy, again, had not turned a year old, but I want you to hear the little sounds that he's making and how close he kind of gets to words, these little almost words, just in the context of playing and focusing on play sounds. All right, so good. We get the car. So how about that? I wasn't even trying to get him to imitate these kinds of things. And certainly he's not a year yet, so he had not started using a lot of words. But those little play sounds are emerging. And that's my point with showing you uh, these video clips so that you can see and remember if you are not routinely exposed to uh, one-year-olds, how easily and how early they use those little things. And just think about how that fits in to uh, helping a kid learn how to talk and the kinds of vocalizations or verbalizations that sometimes we're not hearing in late talkers. And so we want to be sure that we're moving them toward that. And again, I'll say it one more time. This is the level where I begin speech therapy with lots of our friends who have just started, whose parents have just uh, identified late talking as a concern. And so they come to us and right off the bat, instead of going with real words, we start with sounds here at this level. So consequently, this is one of the places that I start looking or probing when I first meet a child. All right, so I'm going to introduce you to another one of my little friends. He was in uh, a previous course as well in this series, if you've already watched, imitating body movements and gestures. He was back there and we saw a little series where he learned how to sign more. This is actually from the first day 
of his assessment. Remember, I told you that they uh, came for a three-day assessment, and I'm just kind of checking out where he is verbally, vocally, uh, as another therapist gets the history from mom and kind of talks to her and gets him settled in. So the beginning of the clip is pretty loud, but I want to go ahead and show it to you because I want you to see that I'm, again, just probing. So watch this nice little exchange, and I'm trying to see how well he will imitate me in the context of this play routine and use some early play sounds. Um, it's basically to say, no, you have to do this, or you have to do this. Lo and behold, they do get it. Okay. You know, but when it's kind of hard, it's very easy for them to just be. And we see kids do that. And until you cut a deep heels in and the whole team digs their heels in. He was growling back at me. And again, you might expect to see this kind of vocal turn-taking with a younger baby, but we like it even with late talkers who were almost two because we know that we've got to get that reciprocity going and that verbal imitation. So that's what we saw here. And this little guy couldn't do it with real words yet, but he could certainly get that going with some play sounds. Now, this is the same little boy. Next clip. This is the second day. And here we're going to try again these to get just to get some of the more of these little sounds so listen as we get him to do some panting here we got it oh thank you Elijah e e He could certainly do these kinds of things when we made it easier, but my whole point is I should probably show you video of us cueing him to say sounds or words or things, again, that are not really at this uh, this level of play sound development they're not novel those kinds of things he couldn't do it and so that's why we're so successful at this level with a lot of late talkers because we're making it easy enough for them to do and novel enough for them to want to participate all right so let's move on and look at another clip here of my next little friend now this was kind of an unusual situation he wasn't a child that i was seeing for therapy but a child that a friend of mine a colleague was seeing and she wanted me to come in and just kind of take a look at him and 
and see where we were. Specifically, she wanted to look for some markers for apraxia. And again, we're not really talking about that here in this course, but when we look at kids with apraxia, we know that they have difficulty imitating, and they certainly have difficulty imitating words. And so naturally, I think, well, I'm going to make this easier for him. I'm just going to start here at play sounds. So watch the clip uh, of this little boy. Again, he's not a little boy that used words consistently. His mom said that he would say a word here and there. We kind of call those pop-out words. He just sort of popped it out and would never be able to uh, repeat it again. So I'm just playing with him, and we are just kind of working up and down the levels of the chart. And here we are at Play Sounds, and watch what we got that day. It, it can't be yours. Oh, I'm going to get one. I'm getting my hat. Oh, oh. Ah, 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 ah. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh, I sneezed my hat off on you. Can you do it? Can you sneeze your hat off, Peter? Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> that was cute. Oh, I do it again. Well, how about that? <laughs> that, again, is a little guy who couldn't do a lot of words. You know, when you asked him to imitate a word, you would just get the deer in the headlights and the silence or sometimes, you know, the complete shrug off or turn away because he couldn't do it. But you make these play sounds fun. You keep them in the context of play, and lots of times that's where we get imitation going. So it's there at level four. And let me remind you of the kinds of things that you'll need to do, like the sneezing that I just did in that video with him panting. Fake coughing is a big one. And again, these little games are so great to get that back and forth exchange. So you're not only modeling the sound, but the child is imitating you and then you do it again and the child does it again. And that really strengthens his ability to be able to vocalize on command. And that's exactly what we need him to be able to do uh, with a, at a harder level, at a more complex level when we get to words. But can't you see how some kids would be able to do this at this level and then it would break down they just they can't synthesize it or pull it all together to be able to do it with a word but they can do it here so level four is a really important level for our late talkers and I don't want you to forget about those sounds and so what you might want to do as an SLP or another kind of therapist is just make yourself some notes and and remind yourself I've got to use these kinds of sounds first especially with the child who's not using any words on his own and he's hardly like I said before about my little friend he might pop out a word every now and then but you would you would never call him verbally imitative but so many times we back it up to this easier earlier level and you will see some success there okay so let's move on to this next level which I like to talk about sort of at the same time as I talk about these play sounds but we bumped it up just a little bit now what's the distinction well these words these are words <laughs> these are exclamatory words meaning you can spell them and like I said before, it's really hard to spell, you know, a cough <laughs> or, uh, you know, when any of those other fun little sounds that we that we tried to say weren't real words yet. These actually I really do count as words because instead of, in, well, let's just say this, the sound that a cow makes is what? Moo. Can you spell that? Absolutely. So guess what? It is a word. <laughs> so we are counting that here. And again, if you're an SLP, you've probably... 
uh, thought about all the kids that you've you've met them here. You that this is where you evaluated them. They might have had you ask mom how many words does he have, and she says three. He says uh oh. He makes a s- sound for a snake, and he tries to do a dog with a ooh 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 or something like that. And again, you've heard that. You've heard parents give you this kind of information, and so we need to take that information and use it because we know when a parent says this is where my child is currently functioning, that's exactly where we want to meet him. And so we're going to talk about some variables and some things that we can do uh, when we when a kid already has some words here, some ways that we can expand that. But first, let's just talk about what exclamatory words are, uh, if this is an, uh, an unfamiliar term for you. So exclamatory words are words that are usually spoken with lots of emotion, meaning you put the exclamation point at the end of it after you say it. And again, it might be an onset of emotion, positive or negative. And so these kinds of words are just prevalent in the vocabularies of new talkers. So words like, and I'm just going to read it straight from your handout, yay, whee, wow, uh-oh, oh boy, oh no, yuck, whoa, pow, woohoo, ooh, ta-da, ouch, Oh, man. And then animal noises like moo, woof, quack, quack, meow, oink, neigh, bah, tweet, tweet, tweet. And vehicle noises like beep, beep, vroom, vroom, whoop, whoop, or whoop, whoop, boom, and crash. So those kinds of sound effecty kinds of exclamatory words. And again, all adults, adults who are great with kids instinctively include these kinds of words uh, just in our everyday conversations. And I often joke, you know, I can hardly even uh, walk through a parking lot and drop my keys, even if I'm just surrounded by adults without yelling, you know, uh-oh, or every time I see something kind of cool, and I bet you do this too as a pediatric SLP, you know, you immediately go into, wow, or all those little words that we use, because that's how we talk all day, right? And this is how kids start to talk too. And so these exclamatory words are super meaningful for kids, and again, they're novel and they're fun, but lots of times they're just really, really easy too. The complexity of the syllable structure uh, or the sounds that we're choosing, they are earlier developing consonant sounds, so they're easier for children to get. And so we want to think about that. I want to I go ahead and show you now a clip of a little friend of mine where you can really sort of talk <laughs> and exclamatory words back and forth. Now, this little guy's on the spectrum, but he had not been diagnosed at this point. We were working receptively on lots of action words. And so again, you'll hear me modeling that. I want him to understand uh, uh, just kind of that next rung of action words. So I'm emphasizing that as we play with this fishing toy. So you'll hear me say words like hook and catch and jump or, you know, whatever the, whatever the verb is there. You'll hear that, but you're mostly going to hear exclamatory words, especially by this little boy. And he says, uh-oh and oh no a lot. <laughs> but they are meaningful here. I know exactly what he's talking about in the context of play, and I want you to listen for those things too. So listen not only as I model these kinds of words, but how well he imitates these words versus the real words that are his receptive language goals. So take a listen and then kind of compare that uh, as you're listening. Fish off. Fishy. Oh, where's the hook? Ooh, hook. 
Well, how about that? Didn't he use a lot uh, more examples of exclamatory words than he did regular functional words? He certainly did. Now, would you think this little boy is verbal? Yeah, he's talking. <laughs> and so, again, look how important those exclamatory words are for him. I didn't say this before with uh, w little phrases, those holistic phrases like, oh boy, oh no, oh man, those kinds of things. Those are technically two words. So would we give this child quote unquote credit for using a phrase? No, because it's a holistic phrase. He's learned it all as one word, but that's what happens a lot of times with late talkers. And we see that with typically developing kids too. They sort of start to lift a phrase and we'll know, again, that he's not self-generating that phrase because he doesn't use oh or no. Uh, they're not standalone words yet. They're always combined. And so, again, we know that he's learned that as one whole words, one whole word. But it's an important phase, an important step, especially to help a child who's been primarily nonverbal move to being more verbal. And so I want you to think about those play sounds and exclamatory words here, again, uh, differently than maybe you've thought about them in the past. And sometimes adults don't want to count them as real words, therapists or parents. But if you can spell it, if you're using consonants and vowels to, to transcribe that, you can certainly count that as a word. And the value, of course, for toddlers, especially late talking toddlers, is, is that those words are fun and they're novel and they are easy. And more than anything else, they're meaningful. And lots of times children 
especially when they first start to talk, will even use, say, an animal sound. They'll call a, a cat a meow or call a sheep a ba because they're also using their sound to represent that word. And again, don't get too wigged out about that. That's something that lots and lots of kids do. But when they're doing this, we know this is where they can be successful. They need that simple syllable construction to be able to imitate. They need for this word to be more fun and to stand out from all these other words that they hear. They need this to be something that, again, that they can use that's meaningful, that's not too difficult for them to try to say. So I love these words. And these words also, as we said before, work. because uh, that's when we can really entice a child to communicate when it might be more difficult uh, using a word that's more complex like a real word or a functional word. And so we've got to meet kids where they are developmentally. And so that's why this is my starting point uh, for so many kids. And so let's talk about now what we do with kids that come to you as late talkers and they already have a handful of these kinds of words. Do you start just trying to teach them new kinds of functional words? We've already said that we're not going to bump them up to that level because remember, you know, and here, I don't think I've shown you this book yet in this course, but all of this information is from my therapy manual, Building Verbal Imitation Skills in Toddlers. And the very best part of that book is this back page chart, which lists all all these levels of imitation and imitating words, real words like book and shoe and cat and milk and dada and mama, those kinds of real words, those are way up here at level seven. And we are way down here at level four. And so again, this is why we know that this these kinds of things can be, these kinds of targets can be more successful for so many kids because we've made it easier for them. And so when what we do when we get a kid who's at this level, instead of bumping up here to these more functional words, because you think, oh, well, he can already say a couple things. He's ready. He's there. Not so fast. <laughs> we should spend some time back here really strengthening what they can do imitatively here because they've already shown you they can be successful. And you can go ahead and try to, again, expand their category here. So teach them some new things to say. Now, even at this point, you may be thinking, well, I've even tried that and I can't get more than these three little words. Well, what you need to do then is take your examples, take what the child can say, And then look on this list for words that are similar. And so when you're thinking about the similarities, what the word begins with or that starting sound is certainly something that that parents can even begin to think of and think, well, he's got, you know, he says, uh, he says, oh, for oh boy, you know, or he'll try to say, oh boy, let's try to get, oh no, or something like, you know, he grunts. And so he says, you know, uh, uh-uh, and I'm going to teach you some tricks for that in a minute too. But then maybe, you know, we'll try to then say, okay, well, maybe he can use that for an uh uh-uh, for no. Let's try to get it in a different context. So same sound, but we've changed it slightly, and there's a different kind of contextual meaning there. It might be a kid that does an uh for a grunt, and you try to get uh -uh. And so you take what they can do and you expand that and try to get a new sound. Let's say that a child says boo in peekaboo. Then I'm going to try to get boo-boo, you know, for a little owie when he gets hurt or an ouchie, just a new kind of word like that. Or let's say that he does uh, for a train whistle. He can do a woo-woo kind of sound. 
try to get woohoo as kind of a celebratory sound. So my point is we're going to shape a child's vocalizations to try to get uh, new meanings, so new context, new semantic meanings there. But we're also going to try to change it just a little bit, a little bit so that we've given him a new sound or a new phoneme. So think about how you can do those kinds of things. Uh, for a kid who says, you know, you, he has one word maybe. He can only say mama, and he says it repetitively for everything. And no wonder because his mom is his lifeline to the world. But then for those kids, you know, you might be backing up and thinking, well, let's, let me try to get some play sounds, but I know he's got that good M at the beginning of mama. So then for that kind of kid, you might try to get an mm, 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 you know, if the food is good, you know, back him up to this kind of vocalization exclamatory words, you know, when, uh, with a snack that he likes, you know, try to get and model his little, a uh, little mm, 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 so that he can try to imitate you there. You might try to get an mm when you're blowing kisses, like mm, kind of pair a sound with that little gesture that he does. So just think about it. Put on your, uh, you know, speech analysis cap. <laughs> Write a list of everything that he can already say and then take this list from either Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers, if you've gotten that book, or your handout from the show uh, for today and just look at that and think what kinds of level four and level uh, five words can I get with this kid? He, you know, we, we've, he's, he's showing me where he can be successful. What can I do? with these uh, same kinds of sounds that he's giving me. So as a parent, that's harder sometimes to do, but as SLPs, we should be able to do this pretty easily. And so you've got to teach parents how to do that too, but you can't teach parents something you don't know how to do. So spend some time thinking about that even before your next session with your little friends. Now, sometimes when I teach this course live, or let me say nearly every time I taught this course live, I would get an email back within the next few days from a therapist that said, Laura, you know, I went to your course last week in St. Louis or Chicago or, you know, wherever we were, and I went back to work and I started thinking about kids, and I have just messed up on so many of my kids. <laughs> I have been working on words with them for weeks or months, and we have hardly made any progress, and I want to back them down. And so sometimes the therapist would say, but I don't know how to explain that to a parent. What would I say? And if that's the case, you would say, hey, <laughs> we started at the wrong spot. We were working, and I use these tools. That's why this chart's so effective. I would say, we've been working way up here when we need to be way down here. And the reason that I think he can be successful here is look at how many different words he can already say just on these couple of lists. And this is just to get us started. This isn't even to think about all the possibilities of what he might be able to say if we kind of back this down to this easier, earlier level. Or you say he already has three animal sounds you know he likes animal sounds these are easier for him because these syllables are easier so let's try to get him to say 10 animal sounds instead of trying to move forward and get him to say all the kinds of things that we've been trying to get him to say and those things make sense to parents parents get that they appreciate that you're thinking about their child and that you are analyzing their child and that you are coming up with new ideas so you say let's just try something easier let's take this pressure off and today we're just going to play and play and play and we're not going to talk to him like we have been you and I <laughs> meaning mom and therapist 
we're just going to try to do a lot of different sound effects when we play. And you say to mom, just listen to me and sort of follow my lead on this. And so instead of saying, look, here's my puppy dog. Here we go. The puppy dog is walking to his bowl to get a drink of water. What would you say? You would just say then in the context of play to the kid with the dog, you know, oh, puppy. <laughs> oh, puppy. <laughs> woof, 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 woof. Oh, water. Puppy's thirsty. Get a drink, puppy. <laughs> and that's what you do. And again, you don't do it as fast as I did it then. You take a breath. <laughs> I'm just trying to model it quickly so you can hear my example. But you get three or four different little sounds instead of doing lots of that talking. And why would we not do lots of the talking? Because we know for this kid, he can't imitate at that level. And are we still going to talk to him and provide adult models and all, all the things that we do as adults? Absolutely. But for some of the time, especially while we're playing and especially while we are focused on helping him learn how to talk, we need to back it down to that play sound level. So I hope that's given you some other ideas. Let's do another example. Let's say that you're going to play with cars and trucks. What are some things that you would say? If I were, if I were working with you now and if I were, you're, you are, uh, as a child's mom, I, I'm working with you and we're, this is maybe a question that I would ask you. What are, some, what are some sounds that you think you can make as we get ready to play for cars and trucks? And so you're planning. You're coming up with what you're going to do instead of just kind of sitting there on the spot under pressure with trying to think of the sounds that you would make. So you might say, oh, well, I can do some of those sounds like beep, beep, and vroom, vroom, and for the brakes, and I can do a crashing sound, you know, or however you do it. I can say words like boom or crash, you know, those kinds of things. And so think about that before you play. And as therapist, this, if you are using a coaching model, you're supposed to be probing for these things and talking with parents. And these are the kinds of questions that you're asking. And then you sit down and you do the play routine together. And you might say to mom, hey, you know, usually we keep data on your little boy on how many sounds like this that he would say. And that's great. I'm still going to do that. But I want you to keep data on you. And I want you to write down the different play sounds and exclamatory words that you use as we are playing together here and that will focus you like like no other task that you could do if if this is not something that you routinely do as an slp or another kind of therapist keep data on yourself next week where you are modeling these kinds of play sounds and see if you can see a difference in the the kinds of imitations or the number of imitations that a child that you're working with tries to make the other kind of email that i get from therapists after they've attended a course is you know, when they're not saying how to, you know, asking how do I pull this back and how do, how do I, am I, should I be worried that a parent knows that, oh gosh, I, you know, I want us to try something different. You know, absolutely not. You should not be worried about that. But then the other email I get is, wow, <laughs> that really worked. You know, I took this chart and I had decided that I was working way up here with lots of my little friends and I have come down and found 
you know, whatever individual level of imitation a child is at. And that's where we're working out. And you would not believe the difference that has made for me. And I always say back to them, yes, I do believe that. <laughs> and that's why I developed this. And I don't think that I've told this story in this course. And it may not be the best spot for it, but I'm going to tell it now. This whole system started for me on just a sheet of notebook paper as I would work with children and I would remind myself, that's too hard. You're trying to get him to do, you're trying to get him to imitate you and copy you just at a level that's just way too hard for him. That, no wonder he's not doing it because Laramize, you are doing it wrong. And so then I started just making myself purposefully think, back it up, back it up, find something easier. And so I started just keeping these kinds of lists. And so that's how this whole system developed. It's out of me wanting a better way to do things. And so that's what I hope that I'm sharing here with you. And especially at this level, and especially for SLPs who you've always started your kids at words, or maybe you've started kids automatically at signs, and you haven't thought, this is where this kid can be successful because he's already trying a few of these little words. And so this is where we pick them up. Now, let me go ahead and move on to talking about uh, something else that we have to do that I've sort of mentioned, but that I want to be sure that you get this point because it's so important for play words and exclamatory words. You have got to be fun <laughs> when you are modeling these kinds of words. You can't just sit and play with a child, or let's just say you're trying to swing a child, and you your target here is whee. You want that child to say whee in imitation of you after you are pushing him or her on the swing. You can't just model whee. Whee. We. <laughs> that is not going to work. I can't even do it as blah as I've heard some other people try to do it like that. And again, I'm not slamming them. I'm just saying they don't realize how important affect is. So you have got to pump yourself up to use these words. And again, it's the novelty of the words. It's how fun you make it sound uh, that will also be a factor in children uh, wanting to imitate you. And remember these light talking kids, like we've said in the previous courses, we know they're having trouble with this uh, verbal piece because if they weren't, they would already be talking. And so we have to make these changes. We have to use these modifications, not only for what we're doing for them, but how we modify the models for them to imitate. So that's another point that I wanted to mention to you. All right, so we've talked about doing that in play routines and using these play sounds and exclamatory words in play routines, but I've got a wonderful list that I want to direct your attention to in building verbal imitation skills in toddlers, which really list for parents what they can do for these using these kinds of uh, exclamatory words and play sounds in just everyday routines and so instead of let's just let's take an example with meals and snack time here and again this is on page 144 if you have this therapy manual and so what are some kinds of things that parents can do during meal and snack time we talked about uh, after their child takes a drink they can use that long exhalation or the they can pretend to slurp while they're drinking. So their child takes a drink from a sippy cup and a parent can say, oh, you're so noisy. 
and really get, you know, model that while the child is drinking and then encourage the child to imitate that after. We talked about that munching sound. Uh, we talked about any little thing that you can do like that. Words like mm-mm-mm or ooh, yummy. He's so yummy. You know, that would be an exclamatory word. If a kid didn't like a food, maybe even something like ooh or ooh, oh. You know, any kind of little uh, vocalization or verbalization there where he's got a little facial expression and he's even uh, using a little sound to avoid or reject the food. And again, we don't really like that as a parent, but it certainly communicates that child's message. And so think about how we can incorporate some of these sounds into a parent and a child's everyday routines. So again, I wanted to direct your attention to that. All right, so I want to show you another example of uh, the little friend that we looked at before. And this is how we probe for more sounds. So this was the little boy that did great with the achoo. Remember that little guy back a few clips back? So we're going to watch him again. And this is just seeing what else I can get. I'm using some additional sounds. I'm using some exclamatory words. So let's listen and see how effective those are. You're giving kisses. he wasn't quite as successful at that level as I would like and again I tried some different little sound effects so moved from the sound effects level four up to some exclamatory words there at level five with boo boo and trying to get him to say ho ho for Santa again not quite as successful as I would like but boy did he stay with me boy was his attention tuned into what we were doing and he was totally engaged that whole time and so that's kind of how we probe for that and how we uh, see what other kinds of things that we can get going all right now I want to talk about Pamela Marshall's work that I mentioned before back here at this level with level four with some play sounds and she's done some nice things with raspberries and I didn't include this information in my courses for a while and then I introduced it and people loved it and then I started doing it more and talking to parents about it more and they loved it <laughs> and so these are the things that I want to share with you uh, that I've learned that can really facilitate more noise and facilitate some variations in noises that uh, and even sound production that kids make when they're in this level, this kind of earliest uh, verbal imitation level, and see what we can do to get some different phonemes. And the great part about this with raspberries is, here's the theory. Wherever you blow the raspberry or in, in the mouth, that can correlate, or on the vocal tract, that can correlate with a different class.
class of consonant sound production. So what do I mean by this? <laughs> I mean that for just our traditional little raspberry that we blow, and I do it voiceless, so I don't have my, my, my vocal folds there. Don't, I'm not using, not turning my voice on. So, so voiceless would be, right? And so the theory is here, if you don't have consonant sounds coming in in this class of consonant sounds, we would stimulate that child's input by helping him learn to do a raspberry at that point in the vocal tract. So if he doesn't have bilabials for you SLPs, and bilabials are what? They're sounds you make with both your lips, so P, B, and M. If you don't have, if a kid doesn't have that sound, one thing that we can do to make him more aware and more functional for his little lips to get sounds going there would be to blow raspberries with your lips. So... Uh, again, in prep for that P, B, or M. Let's move the raspberry back a little bit. And again, uh, this is on your handout. And so take a look at that. We'll move your raspberry back a little bit, and you can do those tongue tip sounds. So those alveolar sounds, T's, D's, and N's. So, and I have a terrible time modeling this, this kind of raspberry, so I'm not going to do it. But you can certainly know, you know, the kind where you're blowing. You've got your teeth uh, and your tongue inserted between your teeth. That kind of raspberry. I barely did it. I barely did it. But you know what I'm trying to go for there. So again, we're using that tongue tip, the same kinds of sounds that uh, are the same uh, structure that we would use to get a T, a D, or an N. We can do it at the back of our mouth if a kid doesn't have a K or a G. So for K, uh, or, you know, the voiced uh, component of that with your G. We can also do it at the tracheal level where there's, again, the voiceless component and the voice sound. And we don't use that phoneme in English, but lots of our Arabic friends do. Or uh, Hebrew, you can hear those uh, even sort of behind that pharyngeal K or G. Uh, what about at the glottal level? That's where our kids do a lot of growling, right? They're, you know, they get it way down there in their throats. We think about our pirate sounds. And then certainly a nasal raspberry would be uh, our pig sounds. So the, the snorting or the snoring. So we work on that those raspberries to teach kids placement for uh, those consonant sound classes that they don't have and then to provide strong input to the oral mechanism. So here, here's what I found after using that too. A lot of times kids can do one or two raspberries but they can't do them all and so you've got to kind of put them in the context of play. So if you know, again, that a kid's not doing a back consonant sound like a K or a G and so instead of constantly trying to cue that sound with, you know, use your throaty sound. Listen to Laura. Way back here. We put that in the context of play. And so we use it like crashing cars or we use it again repetitively where we're where we get a kid to really do that and really focus on placement there. And then we try to get that sound in uh, a play sound, you know, move it on up to where it's more exclamatory word like, and then we would move on to a new word. So that's some really interesting, uh, interesting new strategies there, right? To use raspberries, use one of these little play sounds to get some different sounds. Other, other shaping strategies that uh, Pamela Marshall really recommended would be taking a sound like an uh just that that just that what do they call that the quasi 
resonant nuclei or full resonance nuclei, that's, that's where we're looking at just that neutral vowel. And we say it's quasi or false when a baby, it doesn't quite sound right because it's not really, it's, it might be too nasalized or there's some other kind of qualitative difference there. And so what I want to say here is we take the uh, <laughs> we take that sound and we can do some different shaping things with the child's lips and we can get a mouth and we can get some different sounds. So if a kid has an uh, just that neutral uh, we can close his lips. Now what sound do we have? We have an M, right? Mm. But we can't just say, hey, Brandon, you know that grunt that you do all the time, that uh, we're going to turn it into an mm, watch me, close your lips. He's not going to be able to do that. What do you have to do? You have to really model that. So you have to model that new sound. Mm. You might take your fingers and, and help him get closure with his lips with Mm, and you know, he can vocalize. He started out there, but now we've got to make this meaningful, and then we can get that new sound. So what do you, how do you make it meaningful? Again, I use that anytime a kid likes something, especially with what he's eating. So mm, 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 that's a way to get that. If a kid has an uh, we can also turn that into an mm, an N sound. That's just by pushing his tongue up against the roof of his mouth. And so this might be his no sound, which is how I get it a lot, uh, you know, no help kids really learn how to say that and they think that's hysterical but again it started with that that ah sound and then we're encouraging kids if they're a little older and can imitate this you know oh get your get your tip up get your tip up uh, right there no and so that's certainly something uh, that we can try with our little uh, late talking friends we can do some things to get some new vowel sounds we have an uh, we get a kid's jaw to drop, and it moves from an uh to an ah. So that's something we can do with that, uh, with pretending that we're looking in their mouth. If they're really into pretend, if they like like that kind of uh, understand and can do that play routine of going to the doctor, let me look in your throat, ah, then your uh becomes an ah. You can do this from an uh to an e. All we need to do is get those little, get those lips spread uh, and, and retract those lips into a smile for e. And we can certainly practice that in the context of cheese when we're taking pictures or teeth. Look at my teeth. That's how we get that long e. We can move uh, to an ooh from an uh when we pucker. So from uh to ooh for choo-choo or woo-woo. So that's certainly something we can do. And then we move from that uh to an o oh when we just open our mouth. So uh becomes oh, right? We poke out our lips and round them a little. And that would be a sound that we can make when we are surprised or, when, uh, or even when we're scared when we're playing oh. You know, really model that with heightened affect and and again will this take some uh, physical assistance some touch cues yeah do some kid do all kids accept that no <laughs> but remember what we're doing here we're trying to match a strategy with where a child is so for some kids those are some different ways to get some vocalizations going 
especially when they're quieter. And this would have been probably been paired better if I had talked about it with this is maybe what we move to when we are hearing some vocalizations a little bit more often, but we're still not getting that variety. We're still not getting that differentiation. So those are some things you can do. But again, you've got to put it in the context of play and you've got to make that super fun. And if you start doing a lot of those touch cues and you're driving toddlers away from you, stop. Because nothing is more important than your relationship. And uh, just that back and forth uh, communicative just that flow that you get going and so if you're doing a lot of things with a kid's mouth and you start to get a lot of negativity hold off on that because he's just not quite developmentally ready all right let me also remind you that all the strategies that we've talked about today are not going to be as successful when a child is not socially connected to you so you might have jumped ahead in this series you might not have listened to any show you've just stumbled on this show teach me how to imitate easy early vocalizations and you're watching this as the very very first course in this nine-part series when really this is we're up to uh, this is the fifth show in uh, this little series and so these strategies again don't work unless a child really is able to share that joint attention with you and really be with you so I wanted to uh, give you a word of caution there all right so let's talk about what we do for troubleshooting what do we do when we've tried to get a child to imitate some Uh, of these kinds of play sounds and exclamatory words, but it's just not working. Let me help you problem solve and let's troubleshoot some of this. The number one thing you need to do is be more fun. Now here's the phrase that I use a lot and I might have already said it today, but let me say it again. You want to ratchet it up a notch. And so let's say that you have been trying to play with a child and you have been trying to, let's say it's a little girl and you're trying to play uh, just a pretend kitchen. And you have tried a lot of little words when she's, let's say she's dropped something at her her little pretend cookie when she's got her pretend kitchen going and you've said, "Uh uh-oh. Or she's tried to use the sink and she's put, put the little cup under the sink and you can see her pretending she's turning on the water, but there's no sound right there. You've got to fill in all these things. And so you can't just say, uh-oh, when she drops the cookie. You've got to say, uh-oh, oh, uh-oh, and really just go for it. So she really, really, again, your words stand out from all the blah, blah. And so when I say ratchet it up a notch, if you realize that you've been at a level four playing with her, you got to kick it on up to a level six or a level seven so that she wants to imitate these kinds of words from you. And so when she puts the, the little cup under her water faucet there in her pretend kitchen to get water, you go into, shh, oh, water, listen, I hear it, shh. And you model that for her and you do everything you can at this level, reduce the words that you're using and add more sounds and again, make it more fun. So she's going to want to stay with you. So many times increasing our own level of animation and playfulness will really help a child start to imitate words at this level. And parents sometimes don't believe me when I say it, but then I model it and model it and model it and their kids start to do it. And so that helps them see, you know, we've got to make this exciting. And then the second point there is we've got to repeat it. You can't just use a play sound two or three times and then when a child doesn't imitate it, think, well, that doesn't work. (laughs) You've got to be repetitive. You've got to be predictable. Every time she puts her little cup under the faucet, you have to say what? Shh. 
you know, like you're filling that little uh, cup there. You've got to make the sound of the water and you've got to do it over and over and over until she starts to do it too. And you'll know right before she starts to do it because she'll start to look at you like she'll purposefully take her cup and put it under the faucet because she wants to watch you and hear you make that little sound. So make yourself really intentional, really purposeful and really fun. All right. The second little hint that I want to give you is that maybe you could change the way that you are modeling it again to make it more novel to the child. So try to uh, try some volume variations. So if you have been loud, which I tend to be, <laughs> pull it back a little bit and be soft. Whisper it. If you've kind of been uh just sort of normal conversational tone, get loud with some of these sounds so that a child, again, will hear that voice difference and maybe that will spark him to try to imitate. Another thing we can do here is add some gestures or some hand movements. And anytime we add movement, I feel like it sort of takes the focus off a kid's mouth and he's sort of focusing on his body. So let's say that you have been popping bubbles and you are getting nothing from a child. He might be laughing and sort of enjoying it but you want to get some play sounds here so instead of popping the bubbles you know the gentle way with your little fingers that you've been modeling you might just bust out and say pow 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 and really punch those bubbles or stomp on the bubbles you know not only with a loud uh your foot stomp but you know say boom or something where you've changed your volume and you've added that little hand movement, that little gesture. That does so much to make kids excited and want to stay with you. And even if they're not imitating the sound yet, if you can get them imitating that gesture that you're using or that body movement, you're moving closer to that. And so keep on with those kinds of things. Like I said before, be repetitive, be predictable so that a child will know what comes next. Uh, Another thing you can do is really elongate or exaggerate that sound with the vowel. And so, again, instead of saying uh, something like, um, uh-oh, when a kid has dropped something or whoops, you need to say whoops and really exaggerate and elongate that vowel or uh-oh, uh, and really, again, drag that out. You know, that's not hard for me being Southern. You know, I elongate everything with vowels. But so many times for our kids, we're used to really talking in a more adult-like uh, manner. And so we don't do a lot of that elongating. Instead of saying, yay, or, you know, woo-hoo, we're a little shorter with that, you know, more like the woohoo or yay. And we've already talked about how that's just not going to work. So be sure that you are doing that. All right. So uh, we're here at the end of talking about level four and level five. And I hope that as SLPs and other kinds of pediatric therapists that I have convinced you of the validity of starting here with our, our little friends who are late talkers particularly if this is where they already are, if they're already trying to do a few little uh, examples of these kinds of words, they've given you uh, where they can be successful. They've told you, this is where you need to start with me. This makes, a, this makes a lot of sense to me, mom, that you would try to get me to say more words like this. And remember that these kinds of words are easy, they're novel, and they're meaningful for kids and make them meaningful. Assign meaning when you are using these kinds of words with kids. Uh, don't forget about your handout. And you can take this handout with these examples. But even more importantly, if you 
you have the treatment manual, building verbal imitation skills and toddlers, use that chart that I showed you at the end as your cheat sheet during sessions. And so you can think, oh, I'm trying to get exclamatory words here, but he, he's not really doing many of these. Let me just back this down and back this down to using uh, more play sounds. And so it'll give you a great idea of what you should try next, especially when of what you've tried so far hasn't been as successful as you would like. Don't forget about, too, being able to take those words and shape them by looking at the vowel and the consonant sounds that a child uses with his little sound effect play sounds or his exclamatory words. You can take that and shape that into other sounds. Don't jump too far ahead of yourself. Don't try to then select real words, but again, keep it at this level so that, uh, as I've said before now, probably 15 times, he and you can be as successful as you can be. All right, that's it for this course. I'm Laura Mize, Pediatric Speech Language Pathologist, and I hope you'll join me in the next course uh, for teaching a child how to imitate verbal routines.